This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Pastor Ron has been talking about his uh, series called Love Does. So as you see there, and we're going to continue on with that theme, with that, uh, um, uh, with that type of a message this morning. Um, before I do, I just wanted to kind of elaborate a little bit more. So uh, as I said, it's, it's really, uh, really great to be able to uh, be speaking this morning and to give the message. Uh, so I'm very grateful to Pastor Ron and thankful that God has given me this opportunity. It is, a, it is basically a pretty much a bittersweet um, opportunity, though. And the reason I say that is um, that my family and I are actually going to be moving away this coming week. So this is uh, kind of the last weekend that we'll be at Faith Living for a while. So that is kind of makes it even more uh, just uh, special for me to be here and to be speaking with everyone this morning. Um, but with that said, uh, I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a, I guess, kind of a background about me and my time here at Faith Living. So uh, Faith Living Church, I've been here for 20 years and six months. <laughs> I started here in April of 2001. And uh, this church has been really a, uh, a bedrock for me. So it's been a source of encouragement, of uh, really being able to, uh, to reach out and to uh, be able to find those things that you're looking for to encourage you, to, to strengthen you in your walk. You know, everybody needs that, right? Yeah. And that's something that Faith Living has been for me over these last uh, 20 years. Uh, so my wife, uh, Madi, and I actually got married in this church. Uh, there's just a tremendous amount of things that God has done for us here. So uh, just to tell you a little bit about how I got here, um, in my early 20s, uh, so I, I'd grown up in, uh, in church and gave my life to the Lord early on when I was about seven years old, I had kind of a roller coaster type of a walk with the Lord, which unfortunately is not too unusual, but um, kind of drifted away from the Lord into my, uh, my early mid-20s. And when I was about 25 years old, I rededicated my life to Christ. I God had really kind of uh, given me sort of, a, sort of a open eyes to say, hey, you know, you need to make a choice. And that was something where, by his grace, I uh, surrendered again to him, gave my life back to him, and, and then really uh, decided to give all that I have for the Lord. Um, I was going to another church. It was a great church. But at the time, there weren't a lot of uh, young adults there. And I was 25 years old and really needed some, some fellowship with some you know, like-minded folks. And, and I was really struggling and just crying out to God that, Lord, I need some, some like, young adult Christians that I can really relate to and such. And I was talking with a friend of mine that lived in uh, Miami at the time. And she ended up later being my wife, which was pretty cool. But uh, she had told me about some friends of ours, uh, Rick and Issa Crisatello, that had started going to this new church in, in Southington, in Plantsville. And they had a lot of young people there. And maybe I can kind of hitch a ride with them and start going there. So I was like, oh, well, OK, you know, I'll reach out. And, uh, I gave Rick a call and said, hey, 
uh, here you guys are going to a new church, and if you know anything about Rick, he's like, yeah, want to come? Come on. So uh, immediately, uh, you know, that, uh, that next day, I came on a Sunday morning in April of 2001, and I've been coming here ever since. Uh, just, a, just really, God opened a lot of doors. Uh, he, he opened me up to some great, awesome, lifelong friends. Um, I was happy with, you know, I found a church on, on Sundays that I was going to and starting to meet a few people and such. And, um, but that wasn't, where God, that wasn't where God was finished. So, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, Lord, I just feel like, you know, I'm, I want to I be used more. I want to kind of do more for you. You ever, you ever ask God, Lord, what else can I do for you? What, what else, how else can I be used? It's an interesting prayer because God's always going to answer. <laughs> and so um, one Sunday, great message Pastor Ron gave him. I'm walking down the sidewalk over here, and, and this guy comes running up to me and, and like, reaches me from behind. He's like, hey, hey, hey. Uh, hey, I hear your name's Dan. I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, my name's Kevin Marzi. Nice to meet you. And I'm like, hey, great to meet you too. See you later. <laughs> so he's, and he's like, he's like, no, 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 no. He goes, uh, you know, want to know if you want to work with the youth group. I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, no, I don't like kids. No, sorry. <laughs> he's like, what? I'm like, mm, thanks anyway. And so I keep going. He's like, no, 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 really. I really, I think you'd be good at it. I'm like, Mm, no, I don't think so, but thanks anyway. So if you know anything about Kevin, he doesn't take no for an answer. <laughs> so God sent the right person, that's for sure. So if I find it was like, oh, man, this guy's not going to stop. Okay, okay, that's oh, fine. I'll try it out one time. So they had Thursday night services for the youth group at that time. And um, I came on a Thursday night, and uh, it's funny. I, was, I, I remember distinctly sitting in my, uh, I had a Jeep Wrangler at the time. I'm sitting in my Jeep in the parking lot, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I don't want to do this, Lord. And I'm arguing with God. You ever argue with God? You don't win, just so you know. Uh, so I'm arguing with God. I'm like, oh, I really don't want to do this. Why? I don't like being with kids. You know, it's just, I, I do like kids now, just so you know, I do. I, I have two myself and not really love them a lot. So anyway, I'm like, okay, at that time, it just, they, you know, just wasn't like fitting into what I thought was my plan. So I was finally like, okay, God, all right, fine. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. All right. So I go get into the service, a great worship service first, and then the, the youth go out into the blue house afterwards. So I go out into the blue house. And I meet Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe Stablark, for the first time. And, uh, you know, Kevin introduces me, and, and I say hi. And he's like, yeah, so um, what, do you, what do you have to offer? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, this guy asked me. I don't know. I'm just here. So uh, fortunately, Pastor Joe was much more gracious than that. So I'm there, and, that, and you know, there's a lot of teens right at, then in, at that time. And, and I'm sitting there, and they had, like, kind of their own worship service. And I'm sitting in the back, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, they, they start doing the worship service, and I see teenagers praising God, like full-out praising God, hands in the air, worshiping the Lord, and I'm like, I'm supposed to minister to them? Like, they're ministering to me. I, this, is, this is insane. But... God in his grace used me, and I was, worked with the youth group for about 10 years. 
um, saw some amazing, amazing things happen. But uh, that was something that, uh, that I am forever grateful for the opportunity that God gave me by stepping out and just trusting that God was going to lead me. Even when I felt like I didn't want to go, uh, he still was faithful in that. So what I wanted to talk about this morning and start off talking about, and uh, I promise it's all kind of relevant and tying in, so I don't think that I'm just going all over the place too much. But I want to talk about, uh, start talking about a guy by the name of Joseph in the Bible. And he's probably not the Joseph you're thinking of. So he's not the husband of Mary, you know, the stepfather of Jesus. Uh, not the Joseph with the many colored coat. That's, uh, uh, you know, the son of Jacob, you know, second in command of Egypt. Uh, not even Joseph of Arimathea, who you may know is the guy with uh, the rich guy who had the tomb that Jesus borrowed for three days and resurrected in. This Joseph is very, very important as well. But uh, we don't necessarily know him by that name. So we're going to start off by looking in Acts chapter 32, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 32. And it says, all believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, one of the, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. So Barnabas, imagine that, that the apostles actually nickname you son of encouragement. That's got to be pretty cool. And so Barnabas, we, we see a little bit about him in the early church and, and even in, the, uh, uh, in the, the missionary journeys with Paul, that he early on was, was a part of that. But we do get a good insight into uh, kind of his character and, and what he did and why God was using him. So what we're going to talk about this morning is how love does encourage because we all can use encouragement now and then, right? You ever found yourself um, in a situation that felt hopeless? Uh, maybe something where you felt it couldn't possibly get better or you had no idea how you were going to make it. Maybe it's a, a, a loss of a job or a, a, how to handle a failing marriage or maybe it's, a, it's an injury or an illness, but something where you just can't see how this is going to get better. You can't see any way out of this situation. Maybe it's something that you're just feeling down and discouraged, hopeless. Maybe you're in that situation now. I'd venture to say that all of us have been there at least at one point or another, right? Now, when in those situations, have you ever had it where someone just said just the right word at just the right time? Or they may have given you a scripture that just met you where you're at. Or maybe you, you, you 
were in need and someone gave you just the right amount to make that payment that you needed. Ever get encouraged in that way where it was just what you needed just at the right time? That's what God wants is he wants us to be encouraged. He wants us to be there for each other and to be uh, used by him. So let's take a look and see what does encouragement itself mean. Well, the dictionary defines encouragement as to make someone more determined, more hopeful, or confident, or to make something more appealing, uh, more likely to happen, or to make someone more likely to do something, or to inspire with courage and spirit and hope, and to fill with courage or strength of purpose. That is something that we all need. So I want to let you know this morning that love does encourage. So now let's go back and take a look a little bit more about our friend Barnabas here, shall we? Acts 11, verse 22 says, Then news of these things came to the ears in the church of Jerusalem. Let me stop for a moment. What they're talking about here is, um, so you have the early church in Jerusalem. And they were facing some persecution. They were starting to spread out. And you had some believers that went up to Antioch and started preaching the gospel there. And so that's what the, uh, the news that they were hearing. And, uh, and so it says that the news came uh, of these things came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as to Antioch. When he came, he had seen the grace of God. And he was glad and encouraged them all. That with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So first off, we see, hey, they see for like the first time, something else, something, the gospel's going somewhere else. It's something stirring. We need to make sure that we know what's up and what's going on. We need to send somebody who's, you know, we can trust. Who can we trust? You know what? Son of encouragement. Let's send him. Barnabas, we got a job for you. Go check this out. See what's going on over there. It says when Barnabas got there, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. He was like, whoa, this is awesome. And he was greatly encouraged. And he said, and he encouraged them. And he encouraged them that with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. Or he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. Let me tell you something. God wants us to remain true to him with all our heart. He doesn't want any half-hearted believers. Do you know that? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, all right, wholeheartedly, he wants you all in. Doesn't want half-hearted. Like, what, what's, what's, what's a great example of like a half-hearted or a wholehearted? And I was thinking about it. And so uh, some of you may know that I, I, I teach judo. And if you don't know what judo is, judo is a, uh, it's a martial art. It's a sport. And um, uh, there's a lot of like different throws or, or leg sweeps and things like that. But um, when, you're, when you're doing, let's say, a throw in judo, you need to be fully committed to the throw. You need to be kind of all in. 
Because if you do it half-heartedly, you're not going to get very far, and you're likely going get, to get either thrown by the other person, or you could even get hurt. So God wants us to be all in. He wants us to be fully committed. Why? Because he has things for us to accomplish. And if we're half-hearted, it's not going to work out very well. So remember, God, we are made for him and by him in Christ Jesus. And he has great plans. It says that uh, we are his workmanship, as it says in Ephesians 4, created for good works in Christ Jesus. He's got a plan for you. He's got a design for your life. Are you all in? Are you fully committed? Because that's what, that's what Barnabas was encouraging, right? He was encouraging the other believers, be all in. Be fully committed in your hearts to the Lord. And that's really powerful. We know that words are powerful, right? And, and, and we've all had words of encouragement. And unfortunately, we've all had words that have torn us down, too. Those are things that we really need to make sure that we're careful about. Proverbs 18 and 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. So words are powerful. Uh, they have creative power. Uh, we have the power to build up or to tear down with our tongues. Uh, it, it, uh, it says in uh, Proverbs 10 and 21 says, The word of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. James 3 and verse 2 says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes, but if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and also control ourselves in every way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong, in the same way, the tongue is small. It's a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting the entire body. And it can set your whole life on fire, for it itself is set on fire by, hell, by for it is set on fire by hell itself. It's pretty strong words. It's one thing about James is he doesn't pull any punches. He's pretty clear and direct, and that's really, really powerful. And it's really important with how we use our tongue, because we can use it to build up, or we can use it to tear down. Sometimes. We need to just hold our tongues and not say the first thing that comes to mind, right? So you guys know what this is? It's a tongue depressor, exactly. Sometimes we just need to depress that tongue and just stop and just don't say what you think that you should say that may not be encouraging or building up. Um, one of the verses I learned early on uh, here at Faith Living was uh, Ephesians 4.29, where it says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear them. Our words can be used to build up or to tear down. Um, you guys know uh, um, how an airplane works, how an airplane flies, kind of the, the physics behind it all. Uh, I know a few of you do. <laughs> 
I am not an engineer, nor am I a rocket scientist or anything like that, but I think I have a little bit of the basics of, of how it works. And I just wanna use a demonstration here with this piece of paper, where essentially if the, the airflow against the wing, when the airflow is going against the wing, uh, on top of the wing, what happens is that the wing, the design of the wing, it starts to pick up. And it starts to have lift underneath it where it flies. And give you a very brief demonstration here. So if I'm blowing on it, so as the, as the, the airplane picks up speed and that airflow goes against it, it starts to pick up. Well, one thing I think that God wants us to do with encouragement is as we continue to pour out encouragement, that is going to pick up the person and bring a lift to them. God wants to lift us up. So he wants to use us to encourage each other. And that's super important as well. Um, as I said, uh, uh, one of the best things that we could do is get God's word in us. And one of the best ways that we can encourage each other is giving God's word. And, and building up with what God has given to us in his word. Uh, a lot of times that can meet us exactly where you are and exactly what God needs you to hear. Uh, so I'd ask, my, uh, I'd ask my kids, what are some of the, like, like your favorite verses that encourage you? And this is uh, my daughter, Marilyn. Um, she said one of her favorite verses is Joshua 1.9, which it says, uh, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's a great verse, isn't it? Well, I've seen her quote that many times to, uh, to herself and to others. And to me, by the way. We can learn a lot from our kids, can't we? Yeah. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> so Romans 15 verse 2 says, we should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. The message puts it this way. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? So if God has given you a, uh, a talent or a strength in your area, he wants you to use that to help others, to encourage others, to build them up. And that's something where uh, that's, that's, a, that's a purpose, a design, part of the design that he has for you and for me. In Jude chapter 1, well, there's actually only one chapter in Jude, uh, verse 20 says, but... You, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. So God wants us to build each other up, and especially he wants us to build each other up in our faith. That is so important because there are so many times where we can get discouraged, and God doesn't want us to get discouraged. That verse that uh, we just talked about from Joshua 1.9, he wants you to be encouraged, to build up and to be strong. I was thinking about this, and I was uh, thinking about the example of, um, of weightlifting. So one of the things that I love to do kind of in my, uh, my, my free time is, uh, is to weightlift. Um, and, uh, and basically, 
uh, you know, just where you're, you're using the weights on different exercises. One of my favorite exercises is called the bench press. So if you're familiar with the bench press, it's basically, you know, you've got a bench that you, you lie down on. Would have been nice if I could actually bring a bench in here. That would have been a pretty cool, <laughs> pretty cool illustration. Uh, but so you're lying down on the bench. You got the bar there, and you're basically pushing, and, and you're working your, your chest muscles uh, on the bench press. But the best thing to do when you're when you're weightlifting is make sure that you're weightlifting with a partner. So it's called a spotter. A spotter basically stands kind of so, so you're, you know, the bench, let's say, is here. You're lying down on the bench. And the spotter is, uh, you've got the bar here, is, is right there behind you. And, and he's watching you. And he's basically making sure that you're able to, uh, um, to lift the weight. So um, right now, I, I don't lift with a lifting partner, but I have over the years uh, with Caleb. I have a friend, Scott, here who used to be a, a strong bench press partner of mine and a spotter and a number of others. But the, what's really important when you have a spotter, is the spotter encourages you. So there's, you know, when you're by yourself, there's a certain amount of weight that you can lift. But when you have someone that encourages you, they're like, come on, you got this, you can do this, kind of builds you up. It builds you up and it gives you that little extra oomph just to get that much more, maybe that one extra repetition because they're encouraging you and you're finding strength that you didn't have before. Now, there's another reason for the spotter, and the spotter is there where, let's say I'm going for one last rep, and I can't quite get it, and instead of it coming down and crushing me, the spotter's right there just to put a little, a little extra strength, just to, not, not much, they don't need much, but just a little bit more to lift it up, to help me get that up. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to be spiritual spotters for each other to encourage each other, give, you got this, you can do this, don't give up, don't stop, keep going, I'm with you, you got this. He wants you to be those spiritual spotters. He wants us to be that spiritual spotters for each other. Hebrews 10 verses 23 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. God wants us to meet together. He wants us to, uh, to be in church, this is part of his design to build each other up, is to gather together. Now, I know that it's not always easy, especially during the, the last year and a half or so that we've uh, been dealing with this, uh, with the COVID, but as, as we're even able to gather together online, it is so important for us to be there for each other and to not neglect the meeting together because it builds each other up. And that's really what God wants for us, to build each other up. One day, a teacher asked her students to list names of the other students in the room on two sheets of paper, leaving a space between each name. She then told them to think of the nicest thing that they could say about each of their classmates and write it down. 
It took the remainder of the class period to finish the assignment, and as the students left the room, each one handed in their papers to the teacher. That Saturday, the teacher wrote down the names of each student on a separate sheet of paper and listed what everyone else had said about that individual. On Monday, she gave each student his or her list, and before long, the entire class was smiling. Really? She heard some whisper. I never knew I meant anything to anyone, and I didn't know others liked me so much. Those were most of the comments. No one ever mentioned those papers in class again. She never knew if they discussed them after class or with their parents, but it didn't matter. The exercise had accomplished its purpose. The students were happy with themselves and with one another. The group of students moved on, and several years later, one of the students was killed in Vietnam. And his teacher attended the funeral service of that special student. She had never seen a serviceman in a military coffin before. He looked so handsome, so mature. The church was packed with his friends. One by one, those who loved him took one last walk past the coffin. And the teacher was the last one to bless the coffin. As she stood there, one of the soldiers who acted as a pallbearer came up to her. Were you Mark's math teacher? He asked. She nodded, yes. And then he said, Mark talked about you a lot. After the funeral, most of Mark's former classmates went together to a luncheon. Mark's mother and father were there, obviously waiting to speak with the teacher. We wanted to show you something, his father said. Obviously, uh, we wanted to show you something, and his father said, taking a wallet out of his pocket. And they found this on Mark when he was killed. We thought you might recognize it. Opening the billfold, he carefully removed two worn pieces of notebook paper that obviously had been taped, folded, and refolded many times. The teacher knew without looking that the papers were the ones on which she had listed all the good things each of Mark's classmates had said about him. Thank you so much for doing that, Mark's mother said. As you can see, Mark treasured it. All of Mark's classmates started to gather around. Charlie smiled rather sheepishly and said, I still have my list. It's in the top drawer of my desk at home. Chuck's wife said, Chuck asked me to put it in our wedding album. (laughs) Okay. I have mine too, Marilyn said. It's in my diary. Then Vicky, another classmate, reached into her pocket and took uh, took about her wallet and showed her worn and frazzled list to the group. I carry this with me at all times, Vicky said. And without batting an eyelash, she continued, I think we all saved our lists. That's when the teacher finally sat down and cried. She cried for Mark and for all his friends who would never see him again. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. And we forget sometimes that life on this earth will end one day, and we don't know what day that will come. So make sure that you tell people that you love and care for that they are special and important before it's too late.
I was telling you that um, when uh, I was working with the youth group some years ago, Pastor Joe would have us kind of like as a small group. And we did that very same, um, uh, same thing that the teacher did, where we learned and we wrote something down about each person. I still have my list. I keep it in my Bible with me all the time because I need encouragement too. Sometimes we may not have someone to give us encouragement. And sometimes we need to encourage ourselves. And that's really important also. Let's take a look at an example of that in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And this is a story about David. And at this time, let me give you a little bit of context to what's going on here. So, as you know, David was, uh, um, uh, before he was king, after he defeated Goliath, he was uh, uh, serving under Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel, and uh, David was just this awesome general and warrior, and uh, God had anointed Saul to be king, but Saul had strayed away from God from following the Lord, so God anointed David to be the next king. And uh, Saul was really jealous of David, so he tried to kill him a few times, and David was on the run from Saul. Saul was chasing him down, uh, trying to kill him because he, thre- he felt threatened by David. And, uh, and, and so David would, you know, he's running, he's hiding in the wilderness. He even went and hid with the Philistines. He went to live with the Philistines, who were the enemy of, of Israel at that time. And not only, did he, not only did he go and live with the Philistines, he actually went to a, a, a place called Gath. Does anyone know who else is from Gath? Kind of a tall guy that David killed. Goliath. Goliath. He actually went to Goliath's hometown and was, was hiding out there. Figured, you know, Saul's not going to track me down here. So, so at this point where we're talking about in, um, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David was actually with his men. So David had a, a bunch of men with him that were following him. And they were actually in with the Philistines. And they were going to go out to battle with the Philistines. But the Philistine generals were like, Oh, yeah, we don't, we don't trust this guy. <laughs> this is the guy that they sang songs about, you know, Saul's killed his thousands, David's killed his ten thousands of us. No, we're not going to go into battle with him. We don't trust him. So the, the Philistine king said to David, listen, I think you're, you, there's nothing wrong with you, but these guys don't trust you, so you're not coming out to battle with us. So David was uh, um, in Gath, but he was in a, in a place, he was staying in a place called Ziklag, and so he took his men, and they said, all right, well, guess we're not fighting. Then we'll go back to Ziklag. And that's where we pick things up in, verse, uh, in chapter 30. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacking Ziklag and burning it with fire, and had taken captive the women who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters have all been taken captive. So they came back, and they're like, are you kidding? (laughs) Everything is burned. Our wives, our kids, they're all gone. They don't know if they're dead or alive. They're just just gone. 
I'd say that's a pretty bad day. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now, David was greatly distressed. For his people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Not only did David have a bad day, David was having a really, really bad day. You ever have those where it just seems like everything is going against you? So just, you know, the work situation or the family situation or circumstances going on, just not going your way. Even the people, the friends that are close with you are turning on you. making David think that he was all alone. You see, that's what the enemy wants us to think, is that, is that you have nobody, that you have nothing on your side. He wants you to think that you're alone. That's not true. You're not alone. And that's where David encouraged himself in the Lord. He put his focus on God, and he encouraged himself in the Lord. One of the uh, uh, Psalms, David wrote most of the Psalms, and one of the psalms that, uh, that many believe was written at this time was Psalm 18. And it's a, it's a long psalm, but I'm going to read just parts of it for you. And it says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called to the Lord who was worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I, called, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. and He heard me from his sanctuary. My cries reached his ears. Verse 16 goes on to say, He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. Do you realize that God delights in you? Think about that. God loves you so much. He actually delights in you. He takes joy in who you are. How do we know that? Well, we know that because he gave the most precious gift in all of eternity. He gave his son, Jesus. He gave him up to die an awful death on the cross to pay for your sin and mine so that we could be with him. God loves you more than you can ever imagine. So when the enemy tells you that you're not worth it, you're not, no one's there for you, any of those things are a lie. It's a lie, complete lie. The truth is God loves you. He delights in you. He wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to experience his love. Sometimes encouragement comes in the form of opportunities. Someone believes in us enough and they want to encourage us 
by giving us an opportunity. In uh, John chapter 6, it says, And after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were, dece- who were diseased. And Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. And Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus is giving Philip an opportunity here. And he's like, but if you listen to it, he's like, Philip, where, where are we going to get enough bread to feed everybody here? Philip, I picture, is probably one of these like practical guys. You know, He's kind of a number cruncher. And he's like, what? Uh, 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 no way. No way. If we had like a, a month's wages, not, every, no one's like, uh, not everyone's going to get a morsel of bread. So he's like, okay, okay. Then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, you got to love Andrew. It's so cool. He said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what's that among so many? Put yourself in this situation. Think about it. You have 20,000 people here, and you're going to bring a kid to Jesus who has five loaves and, a, and, and two fish? And you're like, why would you even do that? Why would you even offer that? It's, I mean, that's, 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 that's crazy. Unless, unless Andrew had faith that Jesus could do something with it. He had no idea what. But maybe Andrew had enough faith to believe that something, maybe Jesus can do something with it. You ever have that? What you have is, may not seem like a lot, but it's something. You ever give it to God and say, Lord, I don't know what, I don't know, can you do something with it? That's what Jesus is looking for. Because that's where you're on the verge of a miracle. That's where you get to witness a miracle. And that's what Jesus did. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about 5,000, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples, to those sitting down, and likewise the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. And now when they, in one of the commentaries, it was saying that not only were, they weren't like the little like crumbs or morsels that were, they was, these were like pieces of bread. You know, when you go out to, uh, you, you go out to a restaurant and you give you bread, you got you know, the little chunks of bread. These were pieces of bread that they gathered up. And what I found interesting is when Jesus said, gather up all the fragments that remain so that nothing is left. Another translation said, so that nothing is wasted. You know, there are times in our lives where we have broken fragments, shattered, and God doesn't want those to be wasted. See, when, when God does a miracle, 
He'll take any broken pieces, but he wants to take the broken pieces of your life and mine, and he wants to show you how great he is. He wants to encourage you that he can do something with those broken pieces. He doesn't want any of them to, anything to be left behind, but he wants to use it all. So I want to encourage you to give those broken pieces to God. You know, if you've ever, um, you've ever been to a funeral, you often will see a lot, of, uh, a, lot of peace, a lot of people who have broken and shattered lives. Uh, it's often one of the most difficult times in a person's life when they lose a loved one at a funeral. And it's interesting that probably one of the most well-known psalms is often recited at funerals. You probably know it. I'm sure you've heard it many times. You probably can recite it yourself, Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is, is uh, a great source of comfort and encouragement to many during, uh, during the darkest times, right? And that's a psalm that David wrote. I don't want to briefly just take a look at that because I think God wants to give us a bit of encouragement there as well. In Psalm 23, and we'll kind of go through this, Briefly here, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Now, we could do a whole series of messages on Psalm 23 alone. But there are just a few things that I want to point out to you now this morning. Um, David's talking a lot about here about uh, how he's being taken care of, how his, his needs are met, and um, how he's being provided for, protected. But that's not actually uh, the focus of the psalm. You know, it's neat. I, I mentioned I'd asked my kids what their favorite verses were of encouragement. My son Nathaniel said um, Psalm 23, uh, verses 2 and 3, where it says, uh, it talks about how he's uh, leading beside uh, still waters or by peaceful streams and how it renews, refreshes our soul. Boy, we need those times of refreshment, right? We need those times of building up. You got it, brother. Where those are, where, where we're encouraged and, and you're refreshed and you're built up. And as I said, this is something where it, it's talking about David being refreshed and built up, but that's not actually the focus. The focus here is on God. Even when we're talking in, uh, in, in verse 4 where he says, you know, going through the darkest valley, and many know uh, the translation as being the valley of the shadow of death, right? And why is it that David can go through the valley of the shadow of death with no fear? Well, he says, because God is there. He says, because you are with me. You are close beside me. That's what makes the difference. He's not afraid because the Lord is with him. It's God's presence that's encouraging him 
keeping him from fear, even when surrounded by death. So ultimately, it really is God himself that is the source of our encouragement. God does encourage us. He himself is the one. To get a better handle on this, we really need to understand more about the character of God. Because when we know more about how someone is, we tend to trust them more, right? So we tend to trust what they say more and what their words carry more weight when we trust who they are. So to do that, we need to look a little bit more at at the character of God. And one of the very first places that God gives us a a view of his character is in Exodus 34. And this is where Moses is on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, and he's asking God to pass by him. He's asking God to show him his glory. And God says and gives a little bit of, of a description of himself to Moses here and to us giving us an understanding, a better understanding of who he is. And it says here, uh, Yahweh, the Lord, this is God speaking, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger. You ever been thankful that God is slow to anger? Almost daily, I thank God that he's slow to anger. Let me tell you. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents on their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generations. So for the first time, we're seeing a bit more about the character of God, who the, the great I am, who this is, what he's like. We see that as he's, as he's talking about that he's a God of, of compassion and mercy. And the word there really is, um, is talking about uh, how uh, he's full of grace. It talks actually, the, the word talks about uh, um, uh, one who hears the cry of a tormented debtor. So basically, he hears our cry. He hears us when we're, uh, when we're in debt, we're broken, we're enshackled or enslaved. And he hears our cry and he has compassion. He's full of grace for us. And that uh, mercy, you're not getting that bad thing that we deserve, right? Well, and when he's talking about the, uh, the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation, it's talking about the generational curses that are passed down. But I want you to notice where he says his unfailing love, he lavishes his unfailing love on us or pours it out in abundance, overflowing to a thousand generations. They say roughly a generation is about 40 years. So think about a thousand generations. We haven't even hit a thousand generations yet. And he lavishes his love on us for over a thousand generations. That unfailing love. So overwhelming is his love. So great. He gives us every reason possible to trust his word. When he's trying to encourage us, when he's trying to tell you, you can do this, you can make it, trust me. He's given you every reason to believe him in his word. When he tells you, I've taken your sin, I've paid for it, 
He's done whatever it takes. Because what it took was his son on a cross. Pouring out his blood to pay for your sin and mine. And that's how far God went. But the thing about encouragement and the thing about faith or the thing about uh, the sacrifice Jesus made is you have to believe it. Because you can have all the encouragement of the world, but if you don't believe it, it's not going to do you any good. So when Jesus died on that cross, he literally took the penalty of sin or the wrath of God for you and for me. And all he requires you to do is he requires you to believe it. You've got to put your trust, your faith in him and what he's done for you. You see, because you need to receive that gift. Otherwise, it doesn't do you any good. Otherwise, you're essentially saying, no, thanks, Jesus, but that's not for me. Just like when you're given words of encouragement and you're like, no, nah, I don't believe that. Thanks anyway. Appreciate you saying something nice, but it's not going to do you any good unless you receive it. You see, God wants you to know that he is not against you. He is for you and that he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Romans 5, verses 8 through 11 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. That's what Jesus did. That's what God did for each one of us. Is he sent his son to pay that penalty on the cross so that you can be set free. Probably one of the most known verses in the Bible is John 3.16 you likely know it, where it says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone, what percentage is everyone? 100%. There you go. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You know, an old saint uh, taught me this once where she said to take your name and put it in place there where it says, for this is how God loved, and you put your name in there. So I'll do that, where it says, for this is how God loved Dan. He gave his one and only son so that Dan believes in him, that Dan will not perish, but Dan will have eternal life. Put your own name in there. Personalize it, because that's what he is. He's a personal God, and he wants you to put your name right there. So God is an encouraging God. And he's encouraging us this morning that he loves you, that he is for you, not against you. And that he wants you all in. All of you. But will you believe it? That's up to you. Let's, we're going to take a minute now and close in prayer. 
If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you the opportunity right now to pray along with me and to receive him as your Lord and your Savior. You see, because it is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. And it literally will change the course of history for you and of eternity. And if you have given your life to Christ already, I encourage you to um, recommit your life with me and pray along with me. Encourage those who haven't to pray as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I agree with you that I am a sinner and that I've broken your laws and there's nothing I can do to save myself. And I believe Jesus took the punishment for me. He took the punishment for my sin when he died on the cross in my place to pay for my sins, past, present, and future. And that after he rose again, defeated death, and reigns over all forever. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior, as my Lord, and as my King. Thank you for giving me new life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.